Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer, born on May 21, 1960, was an American serial killer and sex offender known by various names such as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. His heinous crimes spanned from 1978 to 1991, during which he murdered and dismembered 17 males. Disturbingly, many of his later killings involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and the macabre preservation of body parts, often preserving the skeleton. Despite being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, and a psychotic disorder, Dahmer was deemed legally sane during his trial. He faced conviction for 15 out of the 16 homicides committed in Wisconsin and received 15 life imprisonment sentences on February 17, 1992. Additionally, he was later sentenced to a 16th life imprisonment term for an additional murder in Ohio that occurred in 1978. On November 28, 1994, Dahmer met his demise when he was beaten to death by Christopher Scarver, a fellow inmate at the Columbia Correctional Institution in Portage, Wisconsin. Early Life and Childhood Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was the eldest of two sons born to Lionel Herbert Dahmer and Joyce Annette Dahmer, née Flint. Lionel was a chemistry student at Marquette University and later worked as a research chemist, while Joyce was a teletype machine instructor. Lionel had German and Welsh ancestry, while Joyce had Norwegian and Irish heritage. Some sources suggest that Dahmer lacked attention as an infant, while others indicate that he received care and attention from both parents during his early years. However, his mother was known to be tense, attention-seeking, and argumentative with her husband and neighbors. When Dahmer started first grade, his father's university studies kept him away from home for extended periods, while his mother, who suffered from depression and hypochondria, demanded constant attention and spent increasing amounts of time in bed. There was a notable lack of parental involvement in Dahmer's life, and he often felt uncertain about the stability of his family, due to the extreme tension and frequent arguments between his parents. Dahmer was initially described as an energetic and happy child, but became more subdued after undergoing double hernia surgery shortly before turning four. In elementary school, he was quiet and timid, with signs of abandonment due to his father's absence and his mother's illnesses, which worsened when she became pregnant with her second child. Dahmer had only a few friends during his time in elementary school. In October 1966, the family moved to Doylestown, Ohio, where Dahmer was given the opportunity to name his new baby brother, David. The same year, Lionel completed his degree and began working as an analytical chemist in nearby Akron, Ohio. From a young age, Dahmer developed an interest in dead animals. This fascination may have originated when he witnessed his father removing animal bones from underneath their house when he was four years old. Dahmer was strangely thrilled by the sound the bones made and became fixated on animal bones, which he initially referred to as fiddlesticks. He would occasionally search for more bones around their home and explore live animals to understand the location of their bones. In May 1968, the family moved again, this time to Bath Township, Summit County, Ohio. This was their third address in two years, and the sixth address since Lionel and Joyce's marriage. The new house was surrounded by woodland, and Dahmer started collecting large insects, such as dragonflies and moths, as well as the skeletons of small animals like chipmunks and squirrels. He preserved some of these remains in jars of formaldehyde stored in a hut close to the house. 
Two years later, during a chicken dinner, Dahmer asked his father what would happen if he placed chicken bones in bleach. Lionel, pleased with his son's scientific curiosity, demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Dahmer incorporated these preservation techniques into his collection. He also began collecting dead animals, including roadkill, which he would dissect and bury near the hut, occasionally placing the skulls on makeshift crosses. Dahmer told a friend that he was curious about how animals fit together. In 1975, as a prank, he decapitated a dog's carcass, nailed its body to a tree, and impaled the skull on a stick in the woods behind his house. Later, he invited a friend to view the display, claiming he had stumbled upon the remains by chance. During the same year, Joyce increased her consumption of Equinil, laxatives, and sleeping pills, distancing herself further from her husband and children. Adolescence and High School From the time he started attending Revere High School, RHS, as a freshman, Dahmer was always seen as a social outcast. By the age of 14, he had already developed a habit of drinking beer and hard alcohol during the day cleverly hiding his liquor inside his school jacket. When a classmate questioned him about drinking scotch in a morning history class, Dahmer referred to the alcohol as his medicine. Despite being mostly quiet, Dahmer was considered polite and highly intelligent by the school staff during his freshman year, although his grades were average. He was involved in competitive tennis and briefly played in the high school band. During puberty, Dahmer discovered his homosexuality but chose not to disclose it to his parents. In his early teens, he had a short-lived relationship with another teenage boy, although they never engaged in sexual intercourse. Dahmer admitted that in his early to mid-teens, he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner, with his sexual fantasies gradually focusing on chests and torsos, which eventually became intertwined with dissection. Around the age of 16, Dahmer developed a fantasy of incapacitating an attractive male jogger and using his body for sexual purposes. He even once hid in the bushes with a baseball bat, intending to carry out this fantasy. But the jogger did not appear. Dahmer later confessed that this was his initial attempt to subdue and control someone. Among his peers at RHS, Dahmer gained a reputation as a class clown and was known for playing pranks, which came to be known as doing a Dahmer. These pranks included imitating the sounds of animals and faking epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy both at school and in local stores. Occasionally, Dahmer would perform these antics in exchange for money to buy alcohol. By 1977, Dahmer's academic performance had deteriorated, prompting his parents to hire a private tutor with limited success. That same year, in an effort to salvage their failing marriage, Dahmer's parents sought counseling but continued to have frequent quarrels. In September 1977, Lionel discovered that Joyce had engaged in a brief affair, leading them to decide on a divorce. They informed their sons about their intentions and emphasized their desire for an amicable separation. However, the divorce proceedings soon turned contentious and acrimonious, causing Lionel to move out of the family home in early 1978 and temporarily stay at a motel on North Cleveland, Massillon Road. In May 1978, Dahmer graduated from high school. A few weeks before graduation, one of his teachers caught him drinking several cans of beer near the school parking lot. When confronted, Dahmer explained that he was dealing with a lot of problems at home and that the school's guidance counselor was aware of the situation. During that spring, without informing Lionel, 
Joyce violated a court order and moved out of the family home with David to live with relatives in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Dahmer had just turned 18 and remained in the family home. The divorce between Dahmer's parents was finalized on July 24, 1978, with Joyce being granted custody of her younger son and receiving alimony payments. Late teens and early 20s. First murder-murder of Stephen Hicks. In 1978, shortly after his graduation, Dahmer committed his first murder. It happened on June 18th when he picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was nearly 19 years old. Dahmer enticed Hicks to come to his house by offering him some drinks. Hicks, who was hitchhiking to a rock concert in Chippewa Lake Park, Ohio, agreed to accompany Dahmer, as he had the house to himself and was promised a few beers. Dahmer was sexually aroused by the sight of the shirtless Hicks standing on the roadside. However, he realized that any sexual advances he made would be rejected when Hicks started talking about girls. After spending several hours conversing, drinking, and listening to music, Dahmer didn't want Hicks to leave when he expressed his desire to do so. Using a ten-pound dumbbell, Dahmer struck Hicks twice from behind as he sat on a chair. The blows rendered Hicks unconscious, and Dahmer proceeded to strangle him to death with the bar of the dumbbell. He then removed Hicks's clothes, explored his chest with his hands, and masturbated while standing over the lifeless body. Later, Dahmer moved the corpse to the basement. The next day, Dahmer dismembered Hicks's body in his basement. He subsequently buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. After a few weeks, he exhumed the remains, stripped the flesh from the bones, dissolved the flesh in acid, and disposed of the solution down the toilet. Dahmer crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered the fragments in the woodland behind his family home. College and Army Service Six weeks after Hicks was murdered, Dahmer's father and his fiancée came back to his home and discovered that Dahmer was living there alone. In August, Dahmer enrolled at Ohio State University, OSU, with hopes of pursuing a business major. However, his time at OSU turned out to be unproductive, as his persistent alcohol abuse hindered his progress. He failed his courses in Introduction to Anthropology, Classical Civilizations, and Administrative Science, with the only success being a B-grade in riflery. His overall GPA was a mere zero, 45 quarters, zero. During a surprise visit by his father, Dahmer's room was found littered with empty liquor bottles. Despite his father's advance payment for the next term, Dahmer decided to drop out of OSU after just three months. In January 1979, Dahmer heeded his father's advice and enlisted in the United States Army. He underwent basic training at Fort McClellan in Anniston, Alabama, and then trained as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. However, Dahmer's alcohol abuse led to reprimands, and his behavior resulted in his entire platoon being punished, leading to a severe beating from his fellow recruits. On July 13, 1979, Dahmer was deployed to Baumholder, West Germany, where he served as a combat medic in 2nd Battalion, 68th Armored Regiment, 8th Infantry Division. In his first year, Dahmer's performance was described as average or slightly above average. However, his alcohol abuse took a toll, and in March 1981, he was deemed unfit for military service and honorably discharged, as his superiors did not believe his issues in the Army would translate to civilian life. On March 24, 1981, Dahmer was sent to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, for debriefing and given a plane ticket to travel anywhere in the country. 
Dahmer later admitted to the police that he couldn't face his father and chose to travel to Miami Beach, Florida, both because he was tired of the cold and wanted to live independently. In Florida, Dahmer found employment at a delicatessen and rented a room in a nearby motel. However, he squandered most of his salary on alcohol and was eventually evicted for non-payment. Initially, he spent his evenings on the beach while continuing to work at the sandwich shop, but eventually, he contacted his father and requested to return to Ohio in September of the same year. Return to Ohio and Relocation to West Allis, Wisconsin After returning to Ohio, Dahmer initially resided with his father and stepmother. In order to keep himself occupied while searching for employment, he willingly took on numerous chores. However, his heavy drinking persisted, and two weeks after his return, he was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. The court fined him $1.60 and handed him a 10-day suspended jail sentence. Despite his father's attempts to help him quit alcohol, Dahmer remained unsuccessful. In December 1981, his father and stepmother decided to send him to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin, hoping that the change of environment and her influence would encourage him to stop drinking, find work, and live responsibly. Initially, Dahmer's time with his grandmother went well. He accompanied her to church, willingly took care of chores, actively sought employment, and followed most of her rules, except for his continued drinking and smoking habits. In early 1982, he found a job as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center, where he worked for 10 months before being laid off. Subsequently, Dahmer remained unemployed for over two years, relying on the money his grandmother provided him. Shortly before losing his job, Dahmer faced legal trouble for indecent exposure. On August 8, 1982, at Wisconsin State Fair Park, he was caught exposing himself in the presence of approximately 25 people, including women and children. He received a conviction and was fined $1.50-plus court costs. In January 1985, Dahmer secured a position as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. He worked there from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., six nights a week, with Saturdays off. Around the same time, Dahmer encountered a proposition from another man while reading at the West Allis Public Library. The stranger handed him a note offering sexual acts, but Dahmer did not respond. Nevertheless, this incident triggered his teenage fantasies of control and dominance, leading him to explore Milwaukee's gay bars, bathhouses, and bookstores. Additionally, he stole a male mannequin from a store, which he briefly used for sexual gratification until his grandmother discovered it hidden in a closet and demanded its disposal. By late 1985, Dahmer became a regular visitor to the bathhouses, finding them relaxing places. However, he grew frustrated when his partners moved during sexual encounters. He confessed that he had trained himself to view people as objects of pleasure rather than individuals. Starting in June 1986, he began drugging his partners with sleeping pills mixed in alcoholic beverages. He waited for them to fall asleep before engaging in sexual acts. To maintain a supply of sedatives, Dahmer convinced doctors that he worked night shifts and needed the medication to adjust his sleep schedule. After approximately 12 incidents of drugging his partners, he was banned from the bathhouses, prompting him to use hotel rooms to continue his practices. Shortly after being barred from the bathhouses, Dahmer read a newspaper report about the funeral of an 18-year-old man. This sparked an idea in his mind to exhume the freshly buried corpse and bring it home. 
However, his attempt to dig up the coffin failed due to the hardness of the soil, leading him to abandon the plan. On September 8, 1986, Dahmer was arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior. He was caught masturbating near the Kinnikinnick River in the presence of two 12-year-old boys. Initially, he claimed he was urinating and was unaware of the witnesses, but he eventually confessed to the offense. The charge was later changed to disorderly conduct. On March 10, 1987, Dahmer received a one-year probation, late 20s and early 30s. Subsequent murders. On November 20, 1987, Dahmer encountered Stephen Tuomi, a 25-year-old man from Ontonagon, Michigan, at a bar while he was living with his grandmother in West Allis. Dahmer convinced Tuomi to accompany him to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee, where he had rented a room for the night. Dahmer initially had no intention of killing Tuomi, but planned to drug him and explore his body while lying beside him. However, when Dahmer woke up the next morning, he discovered Tuomi lying beneath him on the bed, his chest severely bruised and his mouth bleeding. Dahmer's fists and forearm were also heavily bruised. Surprisingly, Dahmer claimed to have no memory of killing Tuomi and expressed disbelief at what had occurred. Afterwards, Dahmer acquired a large suitcase to transport Tuomi's body to his grandmother's residence. Approximately one week later, he dismembered the body, separating the head, arms, and legs. He then removed the flesh from the bones and cut it into manageable pieces, placing them in plastic garbage bags. The bones were wrapped in a sheet and pulverized with a sledgehammer until they were reduced to fragments. Dahmer spent about two hours carrying out this dismemberment process. He disposed of all of Tuomi's remains, except for the head, which he kept wrapped in a blanket for two weeks. Following this period, Dahmer boiled Tuomi's head in a mixture of soylax, an industrial detergent, and bleach, hoping to preserve the skull for his sexual gratification. However, the bleaching process rendered the skull too fragile, prompting Dahmer to pulverize it and dispose of the remains. Dahmer claimed that the murder of Tuomi was a crucial turning point that unleashed his uncontrollable urges. Afterward, he actively sought out victims, often encountering them in or near gay bars. His modus operandi involved luring them to his grandmother's house, where he would drug them with triazolam or temazepam before or after engaging in sexual activities. Once his victims were unconscious, he would strangle them to death. About two months after killing Tuomi, Dahmer came across a 14-year-old Native American prostitute named James Doxtotter. Dahmer enticed him to his grandmother's residence by offering $1.50 for posing nude. They engaged in sexual acts, after which Dahmer drugged and strangled Doxtotter on the cellar floor. He left the body there for a week before dismembering it, following a similar pattern as with Tuomi. Except for the skull, Dahmer discarded all of Doxtater's remains by putting them in the trash. He later boiled and bleached the skull, but found that it became brittle. Two weeks later, he pulverized the skull as well. On March 24, 1988, Dahmer encountered Richard Guerrero, a 22-year-old bisexual man outside a gay bar called the Phoenix. Dahmer convinced Guerrero to accompany him to his grandmother's house, offering him $1.50 to spend the night together. After drugging Guerrero with sleeping pills, Dahmer strangled him with a leather strap and engaged in sexual acts with the corpse. Within 24 hours, Dahmer dismembered Guerrero's body, disposed of the remains in the trash, and retained the skull, which he eventually pulverized several months later.
On April 23rd, Dahmer lured Ronald Flowers Jr. to his house, but their plans were interrupted when Dahmer's grandmother called out to him. Although Dahmer deceived his grandmother into thinking he was alone, she realized he was not. Unable to carry out the killing, Dahmer waited until Flowers became unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out due to his drinking habits, late-night visits with young men, and the unpleasant odors emanating from the basement and garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment and relocated there on September 25th. However, just two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy whom he had enticed to his home with the pretext of nude photography. Dahmer's father hired Gerald Boyle, an attorney, to defend his son. As part of the legal proceedings, Dahmer underwent psychological evaluations, which revealed deep feelings of alienation. A subsequent evaluation two months later described Dahmer as impulsive, suspicious of others, and disheartened by his lack of achievements. His probation officer also referred to a 1987 diagnosis of Dahmer having a schizoid personality disorder, which was presented in court. On January 30, 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty to charges of second-degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing was delayed until May. During a 10-day absence from work starting on March 20th, Dahmer temporarily moved back into his grandmother's house. Two months after his conviction and two months prior to his sentencing, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, Anthony Sears, a 24-year-old mixed-race aspiring model whom he met at a gay bar on March 25, 1989. Dahmer claimed that he had no intention of committing a crime that night, but Sears approached and engaged him in conversation shortly before closing time. Dahmer lured Sears to his grandmother's house, where they engaged in oral sex before Dahmer drugged and strangled Sears. The next morning, Dahmer placed the lifeless body in his grandmother's bathtub, where he proceeded to decapitate it and then attempted to remove the skin from the corpse. 5. He stripped away the flesh and crushed the bones, disposing of them in the trash. Dahmer admitted to being particularly attracted to Sears and decided to keep certain body parts from this victim. He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone and stored them in a wooden box, which he later kept in his work locker. When Dahmer moved to a new address the following year, he took the preserved remains with him. On May 23, 1989, Dahmer received a sentence of five years probation and one year in the House of Correction, with the option of work release to maintain his employment. He was also required to register as a sex offender. Two months before the scheduled release, Dahmer was granted parole from this arrangement. His five-year probation, imposed in 1989, began at that point. Temporarily, Dahmer returned to his grandmother's home in West Allis. On May 14, 1990, Dahmer relocated from his grandmother's residence to apartment 213 at 924 North 25th Street, taking along Sears' mummified head and genitals. Despite being situated in a high-crime area, Dahmer found the new apartment convenient due to its proximity to his workplace, furnished condition, and affordable rent of $300 per month, covering all bills except electricity. Within a week of moving, Dahmer claimed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith, a 32-year-old prostitute he enticed to his apartment with an offer of $1.50 for sex. Inside the apartment, Dahmer drugged Smith with a drink spiked with seven sleeping pills, then strangled him manually. 
The next day, Dahmer acquired a Polaroid camera and used it to capture several suggestive pictures of Smith's body before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soilax, enabling him to rinse the bones in the sink. The remaining parts of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull, were dissolved in an acid-filled container. Dahmer spray-painted Smith's skull and placed it alongside Sears's skull on a black towel inside a filing cabinet. Approximately a week after Smith's murder, around May 27th, Dahmer lured another young man to his apartment. However, he accidentally consumed the sedative-laden drink meant for his guest. When he woke up the next day, Dahmer discovered that the man had stolen clothing, $300, and a watch. Despite the theft, Dahmer chose not to report the incident to the police, although he did mention the robbery to his probation officer on May 29th. In June 1990, Dahmer enticed a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment, where he drugged and strangled him. Instead of immediately acidifying the skeleton or using previous methods that made the victim's skulls brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in the freezer for several months, hoping to prevent moisture retention. However, freezing didn't remove the moisture, and Dahmer acidified the victim's skeleton months later. While attempting to dry Smith's skull in the oven, it exploded, causing Dahmer to feel remorseful for not being able to preserve any parts of the body. Less than three months after Edward Smith's murder, Dahmer encountered Ernest Miller, a 22-year-old Chicago native outside a bookstore. Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment for $50 and allowed him to listen to his heart and stomach. When Dahmer tried to perform oral sex on Miller, he was told it would cost extra, prompting Dahmer to give Miller a drink laced with two sleeping pills. With only two sleeping pills, Dahmer resorted to slashing Miller's carotid artery with the same knife used for dissection, causing him to bleed to death quickly. Dahmer took suggestive Polaroid photos of Miller's nude body before dismembering it in the bathtub. Throughout the dismemberment, Dahmer kissed and conversed with the severed head. Dahmer carefully packaged Miller's heart, liver, biceps, and sections of flesh from the legs in plastic bags, storing them in the freezer for future consumption. He proceeded to boil the remaining flesh and organs in a solution called Soilax, creating a gelatinous substance that allowed him to cleanse the flesh from the skeleton, which he intended to keep. To preserve the bones, Dahmer soaked them in a mild bleach solution for 24 hours, followed by a week of drying on a cloth. The severed head, initially placed in the refrigerator, underwent a process of flesh removal, painting and coating with enamel. Approximately three weeks after Miller's murder on September 24th, Dahmer encountered David Thomas, a 22-year-old father of two, at the Grand Avenue Mall. Dahmer convinced him to come to his apartment for a few drinks, offering additional money in exchange for posing for photographs. In his statement to the police after his arrest, Dahmer admitted that although he didn't feel attracted to Thomas, he drugged him with a sedative-laced drink out of fear that he would become angry if he woke up. Consequently, Dahmer strangled him and dismembered his body, intentionally discarding all body parts. He documented the process of dismemberment through photographs, which later helped in identifying Thomas. Following Thomas's murder, Dahmer refrained from killing anyone for nearly five months. However, between October 1990 and February 1991, he made at least five unsuccessful attempts to lure men to his apartment. Throughout 1990, he frequently expressed feelings of anxiety and depression to his probation officer, often discussing his sexuality, 
solitary lifestyle, financial troubles, and his apprehension about facing his father and younger brother, particularly as Thanksgiving approached. Dahmer also mentioned contemplating suicide on multiple occasions. In February 1991, Dahmer noticed Curtis Strotter, a 17-year-old, standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. Dahmer enticed Strotter to his apartment by offering money in exchange for posing for nude photos. He also added the incentive of sexual activity. After drugging Strotter and restraining his hands, Dahmer strangled him to death using a leather strap. Subsequently, he dismembered Strotter's body, preserving the skull, hands, and genitals while photographing each step of the gruesome process. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer came across Errol Lindsay, a 19-year-old, while he was on his way to have a key cut. Dahmer lured Lindsay to his apartment where he drugged him and proceeded to drill a hole in his skull. Using a baster, Dahmer injected hydrochloric acid into Lindsay's brain. This experiment was intended to induce a permanent submissive state in Lindsay. Surprisingly, Lindsay regained consciousness and complained of a headache, asking about the time. In response, Dahmer drugged him again and strangled him. He then decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. Additionally, Dahmer flayed Lindsay's body and immersed the skin in a solution of cold water and salt with the hope of preserving it permanently. However, due to deterioration, he reluctantly disposed of the skin when it became frayed and brittle. By 1991, numerous residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly voiced complaints to the building manager, Sopa Princewill, about the putrid smells emanating from apartment 213. They also reported hearing sounds of falling objects and occasional chainsaw noises. Princewill contacted Dahmer multiple times regarding these complaints. Initially, Dahmer excused the odors as resulting from a malfunctioning freezer that spoiled its contents. Later, he attributed the foul smell to the recent deaths of some tropical fish and assured Princewill that he would handle the issue. On May 24, 1991, Dahmer encountered Tony Hughes, an aspiring 31-year-old model at a nightclub. Dahmer enticed Hughes to his apartment by offering money for posing in photographs. Hughes was drugged into unconsciousness, and Dahmer attempted to inject hydrochloric acid into his skull to subdue his will and make him submissive. However, this drilling and injection proved fatal in Hughes's case. In the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Lao teenager named Conorak Synthesomphone on Wisconsin Avenue. Unbeknownst to Dahmer, Synthesomphone was the younger brother of the boy he had molested in 1988. Dahmer approached Synthesomphone and offered him money to come to his apartment for a photo shoot. Initially hesitant, Synthesomphone eventually agreed and went to Dahmer's apartment, where he posed in his underwear before being drugged into unconsciousness. Dahmer then performed oral sex on him. Before Synthesomphone lost consciousness, Dahmer led him into his bedroom, where the body of Tony Hughes, whom Dahmer had killed three days earlier, was lying naked on the floor. Despite seeing the corpse, Synthesomphone did not react, likely due to the effects of the sleeping pills he had taken. During this encounter, Dahmer drilled a hole in Synthesomphone's skull and injected hydrochloric acid into his frontal lobe. Dahmer drank several beers while lying next to Synthesomphone, then briefly fell asleep. He left his apartment to go to a bar and buy more alcohol. In the early morning hours of May 27th, Dahmer returned to his apartment to find Synthesomphony sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State, speaking in Lao, with three distressed young women nearby. 
Dahmer approached the women and claimed that Synthesomphony, whom he referred to as John Hmong, was his friend. He tried to lead Synthesomphony back to his apartment, but the women intervened and informed them that they had called 911. When two police officers, John Balcherzak and Joseph Gabrish, arrived at the scene, Dahmer appeared calm and explained that Synthesomphony was his 19-year-old boyfriend who had consumed too much alcohol after a quarrel. The women, frustrated with the officer's dismissal, tried to inform them about Synthesomphony's injuries and struggles with Dahmer, but the officers ignored their concerns. Shortly after the police officers arrived, members of the fire department also came to the scene, but were instructed to leave by the police. Dahmer then showed the officers semi-nude Polaroid pictures he had taken of Synthesomphone the previous evening to prove their relationship. Although one of the officers noticed a strange smell in the apartment, they did not thoroughly investigate. After the officers left, Dahmer injected more hydrochloric acid into Synthesomphone's brain, causing his death. The following day, Dahmer took a day off from work to dismember the bodies of Synthesomphone and Hughes. He kept their skulls as souvenirs. On June 30th, Dahmer met a 20-year-old named Matt Turner in Chicago and convinced him to travel to Milwaukee for a photo shoot. Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner at his apartment, keeping his head and organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was never reported missing. On July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment, drugged him, and injected boiling water into his skull, causing him to enter a coma from which he died. On July 15th, at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne, Dahmer encountered Oliver Lacey, a 24-year-old individual. Dahmer convinced Lacey to pose nude for photographs, and they went together to Dahmer's apartment. There, they engaged in some sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Lacey. Dahmer's intention was to prolong Lacey's life for a while longer. However, his attempts to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform were unsuccessful. Consequently, Dahmer called his workplace and requested a day off, which was granted. However, he was suspended the next day. After strangling Lacey, Dahmer engaged in necrophilic acts with the body before dismembering it. He placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and the skeleton in the freezer. Four days later, on July 19th, Dahmer received news that he was fired from his job. Upon hearing this, Dahmer lured Joseph Braidhoft, a 25-year-old, to his apartment. Dahmer strangled Braidhoft and left his body on the bed, covered with a sheet, for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer uncovered the sheet and discovered that the head was infested with maggots. He proceeded to decapitate the body, clean the head, and place it in the refrigerator. Subsequently, he used acid to decompose Braidhoft's torso, as well as the torsos of two other victims killed in the preceding month. Capture On July 22, 1991, Dahmer approached three men and offered them $100 to accompany him to his apartment for a photo shoot, to enjoy some beer, and provide company. One of the men, Tracy Edwards, agreed to go with him. As they entered Dahmer's apartment, Edwards noticed a strong smell and saw boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed he used for cleaning bricks. After a brief conversation, Dahmer asked Edwards to turn his head and look at his tropical fish. At that moment, Dahmer handcuffed one of Edwards' wrists. Confused, Edwards asked what was happening, and Dahmer unsuccessfully tried to cuff both of his wrists together. Dahmer then instructed Edwards to go to the bedroom for nude photography. 
Inside the bedroom, Edward saw nude male posters on the wall and a playing videotape of The Exorcist III. He also noticed a large blue drum in the corner emitting a strong odor. Suddenly, Dahmer pulled out a knife and revealed his intention to take nude pictures of Edwards. Trying to calm Dahmer down, Edwards unbuttoned his shirt, promising to comply if Dahmer would remove the handcuffs and put away the knife. Dahmer momentarily shifted his attention to the TV while Edwards observed him rocking back and forth and chanting. When Dahmer refocused on Edwards, he placed his head on Edwards's chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife against his intended victim, revealed his plan to consume his heart. In a series of ongoing efforts to prevent Dahmer from attacking him, Edwards repeatedly emphasized that he was Dahmer's friend and had no intention of running away. Edwards had made up his mind that he would either jump from a window or make a run for it through the unlocked front door at the earliest opportunity. When Edwards mentioned his need to use the bathroom again, he suggested they sit in the living room with a beer where there was air conditioning. Dahmer agreed, and they walked to the living room after Edwards left the bathroom. Once inside the living room, Edwards waited until he noticed a brief moment of distraction from Dahmer before requesting to use the bathroom once more. As Edwards got up from the couch, he realized Dahmer wasn't holding the handcuffs. Seizing the opportunity, Edwards delivered a punch to Dahmer's face, throwing him off balance, and swiftly escaped through the front door. On July 22nd at 11.30 p.m., Edwards managed to get the attention of two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Routh and Rolf Mueller, at the intersection of North 25th Street. The officers observed that Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist prompting him to explain that a freak had restrained him and requested their assistance in removing the handcuffs. When the officer's handcuff keys didn't fit the brand of handcuffs, Edwards agreed to accompany them to the apartment where he claimed to have spent the previous five hours before escaping. Upon their arrival at apartment 213, Dahmer invited the officers and Edwards inside and admitted to placing the handcuffs on Edwards without providing an explanation. Edwards then informed the officers that Dahmer had also threatened him with a large knife in the bedroom. Dahmer remained silent in response to this revelation, but indicated to Officer Muller that the key to the handcuffs could be found in his bedside dresser. As Muller entered the bedroom, Dahmer tried to pass him to retrieve the key himself, prompting Officer Routh to order him to back off. Inside the bedroom, Muller noticed a large knife under the bed. Upon further inspection, he discovered an open drawer containing numerous Polaroid pictures, many of which depicted dismembered human bodies in various stages. Muller quickly returned to the living room to show his partner the disturbing evidence, exclaiming, These are for real! Upon discovering that Muller had several of his Polaroids, Dahmer engaged in a physical struggle with the officers, desperately attempting to resist arrest. The officers swiftly subdued him, restraining his hands behind his back, and summoning additional backup by calling for a second squad car. During this time, Muller opened the refrigerator, unveiling a chilling sight, a freshly severed head of an African-American male resting on the bottom shelf. While pinned to the floor beneath Routh, Dahmer shifted his gaze towards the officers and uttered the haunting words, Considering what I've done, I deserve to be dead. The Milwaukee Police's Criminal Investigation Bureau conducted a thorough search of Dahmer's apartment, revealing a grim inventory of horrors. In the kitchen alone, they uncovered a total of four severed heads. 
As they delved further into the investigation, they discovered seven skulls in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet, some of which had been painted or bleached. Upon inspecting the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator, investigators made a disturbing find. Collected blood drippings on a tray. Additionally, they uncovered two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle, each meticulously wrapped in plastic bags and stored on the refrigerator shelves. Further exploration of Dahmer's freezer revealed an entire torso and a bag containing human organs and flesh, frozen and adhered to the ice at the bottom. In another part of apartment 213, investigators made chilling discoveries. They uncovered two complete skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and within a 57-gallon drum, three additional dismembered torsos dissolving in an acid solution. As if stepping into a macabre museum, they also came across a collection of 74 Polaroid pictures meticulously documenting Dahmer's gruesome acts of dismemberment. Reflecting on the retrieval of these body parts and artifacts at 924 North 25th Street, the chief medical examiner later remarked, it felt more like disassembling someone's curated exhibition rather than investigating a typical crime scene. Confession. Starting on July 23, 1991, Dahmer underwent extensive questioning by Detective Patrick Kennedy about his committed murders and the evidence discovered at his apartment. This interrogation process spanned two weeks, with Detective Dennis Murphy joining later, resulting in over 60 hours of interviews. Dahmer willingly chose not to have legal representation present during these interrogations, stating his desire to confess and put an end to the horrors he had created. He openly admitted to killing 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987 and an additional victim named Stephen Hicks in Ohio back in 1978. Dahmer's modus operandi involved rendering most of his victims unconscious before their murders. However, some had perished due to the injection of acid or boiling water into their brains. Regarding the killing of his second victim, Stephen Tuomi, Dahmer had no recollection but acknowledged the possibility of beating him to death while being under the influence of alcohol. He speculated that viewing Tuomi's exposed chest in a drunken state might have triggered an unsuccessful attempt to extract his heart. After Dahmer moved into the Oxford apartments, most of the murders followed a ritual where he posed the victims' bodies in suggestive positions, often with their chests pushed forward, before dismembering them. Dahmer readily confessed to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies. He performed sexual acts on their viscera while dismembering them in his bathtub. Noticing that a significant amount of blood collected inside the victims' chests after death, Dahmer would first remove their internal organs and then suspend the torsos to allow the blood to drain into his bathtub. He would then dice the organs he didn't wish to keep and carefully remove the flesh from the bodies. To dispose of unwanted bones, he either pulverized them or used acid solutions. He employed soylax and bleach to aid in the preservation of the skeletons and skulls he wanted to retain. Dahmer admitted to consuming the hearts, liver, biceps, and portions of the thigh of three victims, Raymond Smith, Ernest Miller, and Oliver Lacey, from the Oxford Apartments. He also confessed to keeping the flesh and organs of other victims with the intention of consuming them later. Dahmer's typical preparation involved tenderizing the body parts before incorporating various condiments into his meals. Dahmer explained that his initial consumption of his victims was driven by curiosity, 
and he believed it made him feel a stronger connection to them. As for the increased frequency of his killings leading up to his arrest, Dahmer described being completely consumed by his compulsion to kill. He had an unrelenting desire to be with someone at any cost, particularly someone attractive. This obsession filled his thoughts throughout the day. When asked about the preservation of seven skulls and two complete skeletons, Dahmer revealed his intention to create a personal altar with the victim's skulls, which he planned to display on a black table in his living room. He had even photographed the bodies of many of his victims on that table. The display of skulls was meant to be adorned with the complete skeletons of Miller and Lacey on each side. The four severed heads discovered in his kitchen were intended to have their flesh removed and be used for this altar, along with the skull of a future victim. Incense sticks would be placed at either end of the black table, while above it, Dahmer planned to position a large blue lamp with extending blue globe lights. The entire setup would be placed in front of a window covered by a black opaque shower curtain, and Dahmer himself intended to sit in a black leather chair in front of it. When questioned in a November 18, 1991 interview about the dedication of the altar, Dahmer answered, Myself. It was a place where I could feel at home. He further described his intended altar as a place for meditation, believing that it would provide him with a sense of power. He added, if this his arrest had happened six months later, that's what they would have found. Indictment. On July 25, 1991, Dahmer faced four charges of first-degree murder. By August 22nd, he accumulated an additional 11 murder charges related to crimes committed in Wisconsin. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio made a formal identification of two molars and a vertebra, which matched X-ray records of Hicks. These bone fragments were discovered in woodland behind the address where Dahmer had confessed to killing his first victim. Three days later, Dahmer was officially charged with Hicks's murder by Ohio authorities. Dahmer did not face charges for the attempted murder of Edwards, nor for the murder of Tuomi. The reason behind the absence of charges for Tuomi's murder was that the Milwaukee County District Attorney only pursued cases where murder could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Furthermore, Dahmer had no recollection of committing this specific murder, and there was no physical evidence linking him to the crime. During a scheduled preliminary hearing on January 13, 1992, Dahmer pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder. Trial. The trial of Dahmer commenced on January 30, 1992, taking place in Milwaukee under the jurisdiction of Judge Lawrence Graham. Charged with 15 counts of first-degree murder, Dahmer chose to plead guilty on January 13th, thus waiving his right to a trial to establish his guilt as outlined by Wisconsin law. Throughout Dahmer's trial, attorneys engaged in a debate concerning the presence of a mental or personality disorder within him. The prosecution contended that any such disorders did not impede Dahmer's ability to comprehend the criminal nature of his actions or resist his impulses. Conversely, the defense argued that Dahmer was afflicted by a mental illness and was driven by uncontrollable obsessions and impulses. Defense experts presented the case that Dahmer's necrophilic urges, his compulsion to engage in sexual acts with corpses, rendered him mentally unstable. Fred Berlin, an expert witness for the defense, testified that Dahmer was incapable of conforming his behavior during the time of the crimes due to his paraphilia, specifically necrophilia. Judith Becker, a professor of psychiatry and psychology, offered her expertise as the defense's second witness. She diagnosed Dahmer as a necrophiliac, 
although Dahmer himself informed her that he preferred comatose sexual partners over deceased ones approximately 75% of the time. The final defense expert to testify, forensic psychiatrist Carl Wallstrom, diagnosed Dahmer with necrophilia, borderline personality disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, alcohol dependence, and a psychotic disorder. During the trial, Fred Fosdell appeared as a witness for the prosecution on February 8th. Fosdell expressed his belief that at the time of the murders, Dahmer did not suffer from any mental illness or defect. According to Fosdell, Dahmer was a calculated and cunning individual who knew the difference between right and wrong, had control over his actions, and allowed his lust to overpower his morals. While Fosdell acknowledged Dahmer's paraphilic tendencies, he concluded that Dahmer was not a sadist. The second and final prosecution witness, forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz, began his testimony on February 12th. Dietz stated that he did not believe Dahmer had any form of mental illness or defect when he committed the crimes. He emphasized that Dahmer went to great lengths to isolate himself with his victims and avoid any witnesses, indicating premeditation rather than impulsivity in his actions. Although Dietz acknowledged that acquiring a paraphilia is not a matter of personal choice, he argued that Dahmer's habit of consuming alcohol before the murders was significant. Dietz testified, if he had an impulse to kill or a compulsion to kill, he wouldn't have to drink alcohol to overcome it. He only has to drink alcohol to overcome it because he is inhibited against killing. Dietz highlighted Dahmer's strong identification with the villains in The Exorcist III and Return of the Jedi, particularly their immense power. He explained that Dahmer would occasionally watch scenes from these movies before seeking out a victim, emphasizing their influence on Dahmer's mindset and some of the murders committed at the Oxford Apartments. Dietz diagnosed Dahmer with substance use disorder, paraphilia, and schizotypal personality disorder. Two court-appointed mental health professionals, forensic psychiatrist George Palermo and clinical psychologist Samuel Friedman, testified independently without aligning with the prosecution or defense. Palermo attributed the murders to Dahmer's pent-up aggression toward himself, suggesting that he killed the men as a way to eliminate the source of his homosexual attraction. Palermo concluded that Dahmer suffered from a severe mixed personality disorder, encompassing antisocial, obsessive-compulsive, sadistic, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophilic features, but was legally sane. Friedman testified that Dahmer's motive for killing stemmed from a longing for companionship and asserted that Dahmer was not psychotic. He described Dahmer as affable, pleasant, courteous, with a sense of humor, conventionally attractive, and charming. Friedman diagnosed Dahmer with a personality disorder not otherwise specified, featuring borderline, obsessive-compulsive, and sadistic traits. Closing Arguments The trial spanned a duration of two weeks. On February 14th, the attorneys presented their closing arguments to the jury. Each lawyer was granted two hours to speak. Defense attorney Gerald Boyle commenced the arguments, repeatedly referencing the testimonies of mental health professionals, the majority of whom concurred that Dahmer suffered from a mental disorder. Boyle contended that Dahmer's compulsive killings were the result of an illness he had discovered, rather than a choice he had made. He portrayed Dahmer as an intensely lonely and profoundly ill individual who had lost control over his actions. After the defense counsel's 75-minute closing argument, Michael McCann delivered the prosecution's closing argument. 
He depicted Dahmer as a mentally sound individual who remained fully in control of his actions and sought to avoid detection. McCann characterized Dahmer as a calculating person who murdered to exert power over his victims, keeping their bodies for an extended period solely for his own sexual gratification. McCann argued that Dahmer's plea of guilty but insane was an attempt to evade accountability for his crimes. Conviction. On February 15th, the court reconvened to announce the verdict. Dahmer was declared mentally sane and free of mental disorders during the time he committed the 15 murders for which he was on trial. However, in each count, two out of the 12 jurors dissented. The formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th. On that day, Dahmer's attorney stated that his client wished to address the court. Dahmer approached the lectern and read a statement prepared by himself and his defense, facing the judge. In his statement, Dahmer emphasized that he never desired freedom after his arrest and frankly wished for his own death. He also stressed that his murders were not motivated by hatred. He acknowledged that nothing he said or did could undo the immense harm he caused to the victims' families and the city of Milwaukee. Dahmer and his doctors believed that his criminal behavior stemmed from mental disorders. He mentioned that this medical understanding brought him some peace. Despite society's unforgiving nature, he hoped for forgiveness from God. Concluding his statement, Dahmer acknowledged the terrible conditions he would face in prison and stated that he deserved whatever punishment he received for his actions. He thanked the judge, expressing his readiness for the maximum sentence without seeking any leniency. He then returned to his seat, awaiting formal sentencing. Dahmer received a sentence of life imprisonment plus 10 years for the first two counts. The remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. Judge Graham did not have the option to consider the death penalty, as it had been abolished in Wisconsin since 1853. Upon hearing Dahmer's sentencing, his father Lionel and stepmother Sherry requested a 10-minute private meeting with their son before he was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution in Portage to begin his sentence. Their request was granted, and the three of them exchanged hugs and well-wishes before Dahmer was escorted away. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to stand trial for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. In a brief court hearing lasting only 45 minutes, Dahmer once again pleaded guilty to the charges. On May 1, 1992, he received a 16th term of life imprisonment as his sentence. Imprisonment. After being sentenced, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution. Initially, he was placed in solitary confinement for his own safety, as authorities feared for his well-being if he came into contact with other inmates. During this time, Dahmer received numerous letters from people around the world, some of whom even donated money to him. He used the funds to purchase items like cassette recordings, stationery, cigarettes, and magazines. After spending a year in solitary confinement, Dahmer requested a transfer to a less secure unit, which was granted. In his new unit, he was assigned a daily two-hour work detail cleaning the toilet block. Later on, his responsibilities expanded to include cleaning the prison gymnasium. In 1991, shortly after confessing to his crimes, Dahmer made a request to Detective Murphy for a copy of the Bible, which was fulfilled. Over time, he gradually embraced Christianity and became a born-again Christian. He also read creationist books recommended by his father from the Institute for Creation Research. 
In May 1994, Dahmer was baptized by Roy Ratcliffe, a minister in the Church of Christ and a graduate of Oklahoma Christian University. The baptism took place in the prison whirlpool. Following his baptism, Ratcliffe visited Dahmer on a weekly basis, and they often discussed the concept of death. Ratcliffe revealed that Dahmer had questioned whether he was sinning against God by continuing to live prior to his murder. In a 1994 interview with Stone Phillips on Dateline NBC, Dahmer discussed his views on accountability and belief in God. He stated that without belief in a higher power, there would be no motivation to modify one's behavior to align with acceptable standards. On July 3, 1994, while Dahmer was sitting in the prison chapel after a church service, a fellow inmate named Osvaldo Duruthi attempted to attack him with a razor concealed in a toothbrush. Dahmer sustained minor injuries and was not seriously harmed. Dahmer's family shared that he had been prepared to die and was willing to accept any punishment he might face in prison. Despite the circumstances, Dahmer's father, stepmother, and mother maintained regular contact with him. Prior to his arrest, Dahmer had not seen his mother since Christmas 1983. During their weekly phone calls, when his mother expressed concerns about his well-being, Dahmer responded indifferently, stating that it didn't matter to him if something happened. Death. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer left his prison cell for his assigned work detail. Two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver, accompanied him. The three of them were unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for about 20 minutes. At around 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was found on the bathroom floor of the gym with severe head wounds. He had been brutally beaten with a 20-inch metal bar, which was also used to strike his head against the wall. Despite being alive, Dahmer was pronounced dead one hour later after being rushed to a nearby hospital. Anderson was also attacked with the same weapon and succumbed to his injuries two days later. Scarver, who was serving a life sentence for a murder he committed in 1990, confessed to authorities that he had first attacked Dahmer while Dahmer was cleaning a staff locker room. He then attacked Anderson as Anderson was cleaning an inmate locker room. Scarver claimed that Dahmer did not make any noise during the assault. Immediately after the attacks, Scarver, who was believed to be schizophrenic, returned to his cell and informed a prison guard, stating, God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. Scarver maintained that he did not plan the attacks in advance, but later admitted to investigators that he had hidden the 20-inch iron bar used to kill both men in his clothing shortly before the incidents. Dahmer's mother, Joyce, responded angrily to the media upon hearing of his death, asking if everyone was satisfied now that he had been bludgeoned to death. The families of Dahmer's victims had mixed reactions to the news. Some celebrated, while others felt a deep sadness. Catherine Lacey, the mother of victim Oliver Lacey, expressed, The hurt is worse now because he's not suffering like we are. The district attorney who prosecuted Dahmer warned against turning Scarver into a folk hero, emphasizing that Dahmer's death was still considered murder. On May 15, 1995, Scarver was sentenced to two additional life terms for the murders of Dahmer and Anderson. In his will, Dahmer had requested no services to be held and that he be cremated. In September 1995, his body was cremated, and the ashes were divided between his parents. Due to a disagreement between his parents regarding the retention of Dahmer's brain for medical research, the organ was initially preserved but later cremated in December 1995.